Welcome to Central Speaks, home of our weekly podcast. Central Speaks is produced by Hamilton Central Baptist Church. Lewis Carroll's famous children's story, Alice in Wonderland, includes a fascinating little conversation that Alice had with the Cheshire Cat. Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? Asked Alice. Well, that depends a good deal on where you want to go, said the cat. Oh, I don't care much where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an afterthought. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if only you walk long enough. In other words, if you're not trying to go anywhere in particular, you can pretty much take any direction you like and you will get there. Or to put that another way, if you aim at nothing, you're likely to hit it. On the other hand, if you do have a destination in mind, a goal, having a plan or a strategy on how to get there is actually really important. Uh, A road map, whether you're driving in unfamiliar territory or uh, working on a peace plan in the Middle East, is actually helpful in fulfilling or defining directions and measuring progress. Well, I, I guess I want to suggest that the same principle applies to the journey that we're on as a church. Uh, what is it that we're supposed to do? Uh, where are we supposed to go or be heading? And well, how will we know if we ever get there? Uh, so over the next few weeks, I, I, I want to remind us again of key elements uh, to do with our purpose and our mission as a church. We might want to call them actually driving instructions. Uh, From time to time, it's good to revisit the journey that we're on to make sure we're actually heading in the right direction. Perhaps another way to describe this roadmap for an organization, whether that's a business or whether it's the government or whether it's a church community, uh, is that term strategic plan. Well, what is our core business or mission as a church? And in particular, why do we exist? Uh, What's our primary purpose or cause or reason for being, raison d'etre? Now, I'm aware that when it comes to uh, churches, some people actually get a little bit jittery over business terminology being used in the context of of the church. They, they say things like, this, uh, the church is not a business. We're, we're different to a business, and, and business practices and business philosophy actually has no place in the life of the church. Well, I, I don't want to offend anybody except to say that I actually disagree with that notion. The church is, in fact, a business. We are in the business of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And and what's more, the the, the business of the church does not actually uh, belong to its members. It's not owned by shareholders. 
Uh, the business of the church is actually more akin to a private company that is owned by a single family who happen to live offshore, who have lent us or left us in charge of their resources, the tools of the trade, and one day are coming back to see what we have done with the business they left us in charge of. And as I read my Bible, when that day comes, we had better actually have something tangible to present by way of results. If you have been involved over the years in an organization or an entity that has defined its strategic plan, wouldn't it not be the case that a lot of mission statements that people come up with are, well, they're woolly, they're they're nebulous, that they are often a long mouthful, they incorporate everybody's pet emphasis, or sometimes they're totally unrealistic, more akin to a wish list of ambitions that an organization has. Well, for, for the benefit of those who might be quite new to the life of our church, and for the benefit of those uh, who have been around for several years, but I suspect may have forgotten, let me highlight again the mission statement that we as a church adopted, a statement that describes why we exist, and what we are seeking to do. We have adopted a succinct little statement that the Apostle Paul made in his letter to the Christians in the town of Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, Our church exists to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. This, this little verse provides a sense of direction and strategy. It's more than just a trite, pithy little phrase. It actually helps us measure our progress on the journey in which God has taken us. Now, of course, as with, with any singular verse that we look at in the Bible, we must always read that in its proper context. So let, let's do that in terms of Ephesians 4. In the first half of Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul has been talking about the different calling or the different gifting that each Christian has. At the uh, beginning of the chapter, he challenges us to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And if you go a few verses down, verse 7 uh, he encourages us to recognize that to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The original Greek word translated as grace in our English Bibles is the word charis, from which we get words like charisma or gifts. Paul's point was that Christ has distributed amongst all followers of Jesus various gifts or abilities or manifestations of his grace. Every single one of us is employed in God's service. We're like little apprentices, if you will, of the kingdom, and the master craftsman has lent us all his tools with which to ply our trade. In other words, there is a special ability, there is function or functionality that God has given to every single one of us without exception, whereby we serve in God's business. 
Now, the, the, the nature of that calling, that gifting, uh, that God gives to one person is going to be quite different to uh, another person. We're not all uniform, we're not clones, we're not all the same. What God, uh, how God has wired you to serve Him, or what uh, God's put you together uh, in a particular way is vastly different to what he, the way He's put me together. And some of you, when you look at me, think, praise the Lord for that. Uh, but every single follower of Jesus has a God-given ability or contribution to make in God's mission to our world. And to illustrate this principle of difference in our respective gifting, coming back to Ephesians chapter 4 again, Paul lists five examples of ministry gifts or coins. Verse 11, he talks about uh, some are gifted as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. When you look at how Paul wrote to uh, other Christian churches around about the same time, particularly Corinth and Rome, uh, he gave other examples of spiritual gifts and abilities that God has given to different people. The point was, every single one of us has a part to play. Now, in the case of the Ephesian church, Paul gives five examples of different calling or gifting. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Now, over the centuries, uh, there have been all sorts of different ways of understanding what Paul was meaning uh, in that particular set of verses. Uh, The Roman Catholic, the more traditional Protestant view, has tended to see these particular five examples as the early beginnings of institutionalized ministry. These are the professional clergy. These are the office bearers in the church. Those from a more recent charismatic Pentecostal end of the spectrum uh, sometimes refer to these as the fivefold ministry gifts which is an interesting term. I'm not sure that the Apostle Paul would know what that meant if he were to hear someone talk about it today. But that's what people say. The context is certainly about leadership in the life of the church. And these five particular examples that Paul gives in Ephesians 4 would tend to refer to special roles in the church that help a whole range of other ministries to function. They're certainly not the only examples of ministry or spiritual gifts. Again, don't lose sight of this. Paul's primary point that he wanted to get across was that the grace of God, the gifts of God, are given to the church in all manner of different ways. We are not all the same in our ability or function, but we all have a valuable part to play. Then the next verse, we're still in Ephesians 4, verse 12, our mission statement goes on to explain the purpose of these five leadership gifts in the church. And we're going to look at that in a second. But if we were to sum up what Paul was saying in Ephesians 4, verse 12, with just one word, the word I choose is the word equipping. Leadership gifts in the life or the system, the organization of the church are given to equip to resource others in the exercise of their service for God. And then if we go one verse further, verse 13 of Ephesians 4, Paul explains the outcome of this equipping work. 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So that's the context. But coming back to this little verse in Ephesians 4 verse 12, which we've adopted as our mission statement here at HCBC, our reason for being. Let me unpack several reasons uh, why this is helping us define our journey and measure our progress. Number one is it points to the primary purpose of the church, the building up of the body of Christ. And of course, when the New Testament uses the term body of Christ, Paul is referring to the community of people who follow Jesus. Together, collectively, we are the physical body of Christ in our world. We are the arms and feet of Jesus. He is the head of the body, we're the arms and the legs. We represent Jesus in our world, and in that sense, the decision to buy into Jesus means that we must buy into the body of Christ, into the church. Uh, You cannot have the head without the body. Sometimes we might not like like the uh, shape of our body, but to separate or decapitate it from the head means that we're going to bleed to death. So a key reason for the church's existence is to maintain the health and the growth of the body of Christ. And the phrase Paul used to describe that was these words, building up the body. What does that mean? Well, I guess there are two possible ways. You could look at that from a quantitative way or a qualitative way. In terms of quantitative growth, we Uh, are committed to seeing the body of Christ expand and incorporate those who at the moment are not yet part of the body of Christ. Helping people join the household of faith, helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus, this is our core business. That was the mission of Jesus. He said he came to seek and to save those who were lost. And at the end of his ministry, what did he say to his disciples? As the Father sent me, I'm now sending you. So healthy churches have an unashamed outward focus towards those beyond the walls of the church, and we're committed to introducing them to Jesus. In terms of qualitative building up the body, we're committed to helping people spiritually mature. Becoming friends with God is the beginning of our spiritual journey, not the end of it. We're meant to mature and to grow up as the Holy Spirit transforms us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. That's the reason why we would teach the Scriptures week by week, for instance, or why we pastorally care for people within our community. That's the driver behind our commitments to small groups. It's all aimed at helping Build up the body of Christ to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then another reason why our mission statement is defining our journey is that it points to the primary methodology of the church. And Paul captured that brilliantly again in Ephesians 4.12 when he talks about the fact that the members of the body of Christ are all engaged in works of service. Every single one of us has a part to play. We each, if you will, have a piece of the jigsaw to contribute. 
And the New Testament says that the Holy Spirit has empowered or endowed every single one of us with special ability that is unique. No one else can fulfill the function quite the way we can that God has given us. But sadly, and here's the rub, that is not the perception or concept of church that many of us have grown up with. The, the, the paradigm of church life for, well, thousands of years is that only a handful of people in the church are called and gifted for service. Those who are leaders, those who have been ordained, those who have been especially trained or professional ministers, they are the ones who are called and gifted. The role for the rest of us is largely passive. We, we watch and we pay, and if we're particularly spiritual, we might pray for those ministries that the gifted ones run. But we don't perceive ourselves as integral players. Well, the well, problem is that doesn't square up too well with what the Bible teaches. According to the Bible, genuine faith demonstrates itself in tangible and physical ways. It affects or changes our behavior, obviously, but it also engages us in the whole idea of serving in God's cause. Engaging in works of service is an inherent aspect of following Jesus. And engaging in works of service is actually normative in Christian expression. Think about that. To not engage in works of service, that's abnormal. That's subnormal. That's naughty Christianity. It's deficient faith. Why? Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has gifted every single follower of Jesus with power and ability and spiritual gifts in order to serve. So to not engage in works of service, that's a little bit like having a late model car full of petrol sitting in the garage and never opening the doors and driving it. Here's how a different New Testament author expressed this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. He said, each one... And, of course, you know the definition in the Greek of each one, right? It means each one. <laughs> Should use whatever gift he or she has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. But sadly, they say that this kind of thinking is relatively new to many Christians. The assumption has been that only some people are gifted and called. The majority are more like passive consumers who sit in the pews, believe all the right things about God, and, well, not much more of us is required before we go to heaven. And often as passive consumers, but like sports fans sitting in the stands, we judge the church according to whether or not it meets its objectives. Actually, the role, the methodology, if you will, of the church is the engagement of its various members in diverse works of service. Now, some may well serve the Lord 
outside of the context of the church community, maybe in the varied structures of society. That's one of the reasons why we prayed today for for teachers, for instance, or for the police, or for uh, for people who work in, in the hospitals, the medical field, and so on. But there'll be others who use their gifts within the organization of the church. The point is, every one of us is called of God to serve in some way. That's the deal. Then a third reason why our mission statement is defining our journey is that it points to the primary strategy of the church. If every Christian is empowered and gifted by God for service, and if serving is an essential component of what it means to follow Jesus, then surely it stands to reason that the primary business of the local church is preparing God's people for those works of service. Our reason for being as a relational institution or a community is to equip God's people for the assignment that God has given them. The purpose of the church is like the infrastructure that feeds and nourishes and trains the soldiers in the army at war. Virtually everything we do as an organized community can be measured by this particular yardstick. Why why do we gather Sunday by Sunday for, for worship? Well, the role of the church is to provide opportunity for Christians to gather, to express their love for God, to receive in return encouragement and blessing, to go back out into the world and be a blessing to the people that he's planted us amongst. Well, why do we offer teaching from the scriptures and services or through special seminars or courses that we might run from time to time? Well, the role of the church is to educate, to impart truth that will change and mature believers into a greater likeness to Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we will seek to serve other people. Well, why do we offer pastoral support and nurture for those who are going through tough patches of life? Well, the role of the church is to care for the brokenhearted and to get them mended so that they can minister again to other people. Well, why do we offer specific ministries to youth or to children or to those struggling with crippling debt or the idea of social housing and all the other activities that happen around this place? Well, the role of the church is to communicate on the wavelength that people understand so that they can grow in their knowledge and understanding of God and how he's called them to serve. If someone were to ask today or some other day, who is the minister of this church? Well, the answer is simple. Look around you at all the people. We're all ministers. We're all servants of the gospel. That the role of those with leadership or organizational or teaching gifts is to equip, to release people into works of service. But we don't employ staff to do the work of ministry that has been delegated to them to do on behalf of the members' meeting. No, we employ staff to bother the members of the church to equip, to cajole, to release, to resource the people into ministry. For that is the core strategy of the church. 
Well, where does all of this touch base as we launch ourselves into 2020? Let me, as we close, suggest a bunch of practical implications in the form of what-if questions. What if we were to, to see ourselves as having permission to dream and envisage whatever it might be that God is calling us to do by way of employing our unique God-given ability in the service of Jesus in our city? Well, what if, among other things that we might pray about from time to time, we were to include a prayer that we ask God to bring to our consciousness where and how he would have us serve in his cause? Because every single one of us is ordained, equipped minister of the gospel. We each have passions and unique life experience and unique ability. We have unique networks of relationship. We have skills and capacities that God has built into each of us to use for his glory. So go for it. Dream about what that could be and begin to follow those dreams. Secondly, what if we were to understand that we actually have permission to begin something new? Is there a, uh, uh, an idea for a new ministry that God has been birthing within us? The, uh, the idea just simply won't go away. Maybe there's a, a glaring gap in existing ministries that the church runs at the moment that we feel stirred up about. Is there a, a, a growing burden within us for a particular sector of our society? Well, maybe God is placing those stirrings within our heart because he wants us to do something about it. It's now a matter of faith and trust that God will come through and help us do what he's asking of us. Thirdly, and this might be a little bit confronting, but what if we could each articulate an answer to the questions and tell me, what do you do to serve the Lord? I mean, isn't that a fair question? We believe the Bible is the inspired, the authoritative word of God, right? Well, if the Bible says that every Christian is empowered and gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve, and if the function of leadership gifts is to prepare people, God's people, for service, then doesn't it stand to reason that really every Christian ought to be able to answer the question, what do you do to serve Jesus? And if we don't have a good answer to a question like that, maybe that's something we ought to address. It might be that God is calling us to serve, as I say, within the structures and the existing ministries of the church, or it might be that God is calling us to work in the various structures of our society. Maybe it's a new ministry in our neighborhood, or our place of employment, or maybe amongst the people that we socialize with. Maybe it's on the other side of the world. The point is, God has called us no exceptions, to engage in works of service. And then fourthly, what if we were to view the role of the church, especially those in leadership, as oh, not so much permission givers as resources and coaches? Rather than seeing the ubiquitous leadership, the elders or the pastors as, as gatekeepers or arbiters of our vision or the people maybe we expect to do things that we think the church should be doing, 
we saw their role as primarily one of equipping and encouraging and cheerleading us as we pursue the dream that God has given us. In other words, their default response when we come up with an idea is, well, how can we help? If you've attended one of our newcomers' evenings in the last year or two, you'll have seen something like this. According to a little statement that Jesus made to his disciples after his resurrection, we're on a mission. God involves us in his cause. John 20 verse 21 says that in the same way that God the Father sent Jesus into the world to do his bidding, he's now sent us to keep the business going. We carry on the ministry of Jesus as his hands and his feet, serving in a messed up world. In any healthy entity, be it a business, a government, a school, or a church, there are three important questions which need an answer. Why do we exist? What are the rules of the game? What do we want to be like in the future? We need to understand our mission, our raison d'etre, that which we're here on earth to do for heaven's sake. We need to be clear on our values, those rules of the game that help define what's in play and what's out of bounds. And then thirdly, we need to be clear on our vision, or as someone once expressed it, the future that beckons. Sadly, in a lot of churches, ministry is primarily done by professionals or appointed leaders. Now, through the various structures of the church, you know, programs are crafted and the corporate vision is set from the top. Ordinary church members largely just watch and pay as the ministries of the church are fulfilled by leaders. Now, we're wondering if the New Testament doesn't actually teach a rather different model to that. We think God's intent for his church is that every one of us is engaged as a minister of the gospel. We talk about the priesthood of all believers rather than just a select few. And the primary role of those appointed to leadership function is to resource and to equip God's people for their works of service. I mean, imagine what a church might be like if it took this seriously. Rather than just giving lip service to what the New Testament says about spiritual gifts or the empowering work of the Holy Spirit from Pentecost onwards, what if we were to organize ourselves around this central principle, encouraging, enabling every member of the church to understand and exercise the unique gifts and calling that God has given them. Some years ago, I had one of those aha moments. I had a Sunday off preaching, and Liz and I attended a large church not far from our home. Now, the worship was vibrant. The people were glad to be present. The, the pastor was away that day, so one of the elders was preaching. The, the essence of the message was simple. In, in this particular church, ideas and initiatives all came from the top. Now, leadership was strong, and the pastor and the team set the vision for the future. Now, the preacher that day essentially told the people gathered that they needed to get behind the pastor and help make his vision a reality. This was their mission. Support, fund, encourage, you know, roll up your sleeves and help make it a reality. If this is your church, support the pastor's vision. Now, I know what the preacher that day was trying to say, and I'm sure it wasn't all bad. But there was also something in me that wanted to scream. God's future dream for this particular church wasn't only something given to the pastor. God was also at work in the hearts and minds of all the church members. Every single person was able to hear and discern God's call on their life 
and be able to be used by God to serve. The mission and scope of all the different spiritual gifts given to this particular church was far wider than just that which the the pastor could see or envisage. That day, I, I came away with the unmistakable view that the purpose and vision of the church needed to be turned on its head. Rather than all the people getting behind the vision of the pastor, what if the purpose of the church and its leadership systems and strategies were focused on getting behind the vision and the calling that the Holy Spirit was giving to its members? What what if we said to the people who make our church their spiritual home, don't merely think you need to get behind our vision as leaders. Instead, we invite you to dream, to pray, to discern, to envisage what it is that God is calling you to do and be for his kingdom. And the role of the church is to get behind its members and resource them. Let me finish with this. Some years ago, we pastored a church in the Bay of Plenty. They had a fascinating little sign on the foyer exit from that church building. It was put up before I went there, and it probably, to the best of my knowledge, is still there today. But as you left the building, you were confronted with these words. You are now entering the mission field. In other words, everything that happened inside these walls was not an end, but a means to an end. Because the people who will actually make a difference in this world for the gospel of Jesus... Well, it's probably not people like me in terms of my professional work. It might be more you in your professional work and your location where God has planted you. And the role of people in roles like mine is to build up, encourage, discipline, and help prepare you as you go out into the mission field and do the work of Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us this week online. Come join us on Sunday mornings too if you're in Hamilton. Find out more about Hamilton Central Baptist Church and discover ways to get involved at www.hcbc.nz Join us again next week at Central Speaks.